Hi, Craig, again. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Juicing the Big Screen, um, your movies review podcast. I am one of your critics, Joshua Tracy. And I'm Roger Ebert, Corwin Heller. We can't make that joke every week. I don't know any other reviewers. Uh, I am Pauline Klein. <laughs> anyway. I am Cisco Crisco. Anyway, uh, we watched the 1980 film Caddyshack and the 1981 film My Dinner with Andre. Uh, Corwin, where do you want to start this week? Should we just go chronological or did you have your heart set on something? Uh, let's wa- let's talk let's talk Caddyshack first because I feel like that one's gonna go quick. Chronological, it is Corwin. This was your pick. Oh wait, I have to do all the stuff first. All right, 1980s yeah. Caddyshack was directed by Harold Ramis. It was written by Harold Ramis, also Brian Doyle Murray, as well as um, Douglas Kenny. It stars Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield, and Bill Murray. It had an estimated budget of $6 million, a cumulative worldwide gross of $39.8 million. Certainly a success. Its tagline was, at last, a comedy with balls. Um, Very, very good. (laughs) It had no major awards, nominations, nor wins. It is about an exclusive golf course that has to deal with a brash new member and a destructive dancing gopher. Corwin, tell me your thoughts on Caddyshack. Man, is this not like one of the most classic comedy movies of all time? Like, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, you know, as much as I dislike Chevy Chase because, you know, he's an asshole, boy, he's funny. Um, I, I don't even know what else I want to say about this. I just think this is one of like the funniest movies of all time. I love that it's so fantastic at turning something as just mundane as golf into a truly hilarious um, just premise. I don't know. I, I don't even know what I want to say about it. I just love this movie so much. One of my all-time faves. Um, I didn't take a whole lot of notes because it's Caddyshack and narratively, who gives a shit? Um, but I just, I love every character. I love the writing. It's not, you know, perfect by any means, but it definitely has its special place in my heart. Yeah, Caddyshack, I think, is is one of the most well-known films of its type and era. And for good reason. It's a super fun movie. Um, it's got so many well-renowned personalities in it. Rodney Dangerfield, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray. Chevy Chase kind of being the odd man out there um, in terms of powerhouse of comedy. Um I think it does a. It's it's also a really interesting movie in in that it's got a lot of moving parts, all going on at the same time, which you don't typically get out of such goofball comedy films. Like like Douglas Kenny's previous film, um, Animal House. There's really, I mean, it's just about the guys at Animal House kind of doing their Animal House biz. Um, but this actually has like several storylines 
different to you know different extents all kind of happening and, and operating at, at at simultaneously um which i think serves the movie well because it lets it kind of hop from from plot point to plot point and therefore joke to joke um while being able to do it centered around a sport as mundane as golf <laughs> um yeah it's Boy, it's a, mundaneness though it is a fun movie built on the back of a lot of these actors just being who they are rodney dangerfield is just being rodney dangerfield Bill Murray literally improvised all of his lines. None of his lines were scripted. Um, and wait, I would... Wait, 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 wait. You're telling me he didn't actually caddy for the Dalai Lama? He did not actually caddy for the Dalai Lama. Um, <laughs> nor did he prepare that whole monologue. Um, uh, I fucking love and, that part. And Chevy Chase works really well in this movie because he's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like you said. Like, I, this... It, for me, is the only movie I think I actually enjoy. Boy, Chevy Chase in, um, like uh, like you know the National Lampoon mm-hmm. movies. He's supposed to be like a goofball dad, but still lovable. But Chevy Chase is just such an asshole. I just don't find him lovable. I find him to be really annoying. You know, like I the the lovable goofball dad role is not Chevy Chase. No. This is Chevy Chase. A guy who is, by all means, a dick, but is also like humorous in part, and you know has a has a comedic touch to things, but is still a dick. Like this is who Chevy Chase is supposed to be in movies. He is not a lovable goofball in in the way that um like Dudley Moore is in Arthur or any shit like that. You know, he is Chevy Chase is a dick. Um. So I really think that that this film plays really well to the strengths um, of its actors, which feels like a very, very high-minded thing to say about a comedy, but matters more in comedy than perhaps anything else. Sure. Uh, so uh, I guess... I Yeah, I also only have three notes. I'm just going to read them because they're, they're really nonsense. Um, my first note is 8000 per year for college is hilarious. Um, because <laughs> nowadays you would not sweat that. That's that's literally like community college in in some places. That's how much um, my community college was. Yeah, like straight up. I'm not even yeah, not even exaggerating. So that the idea that you the obviously you know you want every scholarship you can get, no matter how cheap your college is. But the idea that you would need a scholarship for that much is hilarious nowadays. Um, oh, inflation. My not even the rising and rapid cost of of not even cost of college the rising and rapid butt fucking that is the cost of college. Um, my second note is Chevy Chase being an asshole is just good casting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and my third note is the coke budget of this movie must be enormous. Um, because it, it was the eighties and it was these people in particular. Uh, outside of that, I don't have a lot of notes for this. Um, do you have any notes before we kind of just talk about little little bits and pieces of the plot? Um, no, because it's one of those things where the only note I have is this movie exudes style. And that's it. That's all I got. Like, this movie is just style. Granted, Chevy Chase is a very stylistic person, as much of an asshole as he is, you know? That's Chevy Chase. 
Um, I just, you know, I really can't get past that. All I, right. I don't know how I want to phrase that because it's not fantastic. I'm just saying, well, at least what I'm trying to say is this doesn't try to be anything special. This doesn't try to be, you know, an over-the-top national lampoon. This is ridiculous in the best way. It's, hey, we know we're fucking funny as hell. We're going to make this ridiculous in the most stylistic way possible. Uh, n- not even that. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. I was going to say, I, I would very fair this representation. Definitely, this definitely tries to go over the top. <laughs> they literally explode a golf course. Um, yeah. So in that very in that well. case, you know what? Let let's take it character by character because that will give us room to talk about how they operate within the plot of this movie and their jokes um, as well. So let's start with with with, with the head honcho, the guy we spend the the most time on. I would I would guess in the film. Our good friend Danny Danny Noonan, played by Michael O'Keefe, um, who plays, who starts off the movie as like, uh, you know, being scolded by his parents, like you need to put your money in the college fund. And he's like, but I want to buy Pepsi's, um, <laughs> and um, they're like, you need to get a scholarship. And he's like, I don't want to go to college. Um, so that's who he is in the beginning. And you know, he is a caddy at a golf course. He's trying to schmooze a judge to get a scholarship. He has a, a kind of girlfriend that he fucks around with that he got pregnant and they have to <laughs> decide to get married. And they are like 18 and it is 1981 or 1980. So that that's just so jarring to see. Um, mm. But that, that's also the fact generally... that they're like supposed to be 19 year olds and they look like they're closer to 30. How old do you think? Um... How old do you think Michael O'Keefe was when this movie came out? 27. So Michael O'Keefe was born in 1955. So in 1980, he was 25. So he was probably, this was probably made when he was like 24. Yeah. Eh, it's not like Thanks the craziest shit we've seen. Like this isn't Greece, but oh, you know, God. whatever. Yeah. Um. So what do you think of Danny Noonan in this and, uh, and, and, and his, operation he he's really the guy that kind of glues the plot together he he you know has a lot of scenes with the judge and him being that asshole got a lot of scenes with chevy chase you know he eventually comes in at the end of the movie to uh fill in for um rodney dangerfield when he breaks his arm um so he is very much ah my arm uh, he is he's very much so the 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 glue of the plot, in addition to kind of pushing some parts of it along. What do you think of our boy, our good friend Danny Noonan? It, eh, like it's like whatever. Like as much as he is like the the glue and the focal point of the movie, like he's not really anywhere close to being the most enjoyable part of this movie. Um, you know, like all these other characters are so good at being supporting actors, supporting pieces and their, their humor and the funniness that they bring to a film comes off of playing off the scenes created. So like, I get it. Like he's super important. It's just not like there's a reason he has not really had a spectacular career post Caddyshack. I, I agree, but I'm not going to be as scathing about it 
<laughs> as you. I, yeah, I mean, you asked for my opinion. There it is. Fuck off. I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying you're wrong. <laughs> I'm just not going to be as mean. Um, I think you know every good comedy film has to have a straight guy, and that's Danny Noonan. He is not the purveyor of many of the jokes. He is there to give you a sense of plot being moved forward and to let everybody he interacts with be a wild and wacky guy. You know, when he's in the scenes of Chevy Chase, Chevy Chase is going, you know, and when he, when he's in his scenes with the judge, the judge is big and loud, you know, like, and it's really fun seeing a lot of these goofier characters interact with each other to a higher degree later on in the film. Corbin, shut the fuck up. But that can't, it can't be the whole movie because if that was the whole movie, it would be too monotonous and you may or may not, depending on your personality, just get tired of that. So I think Daniel Noonan is ultimately not that exciting of a character or interesting in either respect, but it gives you breaks from the comedy to get you back into the comedy so that the comedy part works again, which again is the point of having a straight man. Um, yeah, I get it. It doesn't mean I have to enjoy it. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not telling you you should either. The, the scenes in which him and his girlfriend are trying to decide what to do about the pregnancy is like, such a yeah. yawn. Um, all right, Chevy Chase, tell me about Ty Webb, the mischievous but avid golfer. Uh, like, when Chevy Chase, like, acts, does he ever actually act? No, which is like, one of the reasons is... I really do not enjoy seeing him in the um, fucking National Lampoon movies. Like, this really just seems like Chevy Chase walks onto a golf course starts playing and that this is just him um but at the same time that makes for a fairly enjoyable character because chevy chase you know as much as you don't like him is naturally funny um in the most assholeish way because those are funny when you're not involved um but yeah i don't know i i liked him he was one of my favorite characters in this you know it's hard to really signal him out as the best because you have so many fucking great actors and comedic players in this. Um, but I really enjoy him. Yeah, I think he, I think he's fine. I, he, he's a weird in between, um, between the straight man of Danny Noonan and the wild and crazy character that is Rodney Dangerfield. And I think he fills a very important niche there. You know, like he is going to be lighthearted and, and charming, even in some ways um, and funny in the scenes he's in. But then he gives a lot of ground in his scenes with Rodney Dangerfield for Rodney Dangerfield to just do the Rodney Dangerfield thing. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think he's enjoyable. I'm glad this movie doesn't rely on him the way to, to be funny in the way that it relies on Rodney Dangerfield to bring a lot to it and relies on Bill Murray to bring a lot to it. Um, but he's definitely a really strong part of the cast there. Fills a, fills a, a big role for us. Um, I guess let's talk about Rodney Dangerfield. Al sure. Chervik. Uh, he, Al Chervik is like, a, I don't know. I get the, I get the impression he's like a Wall Street or real estate kind of guy who like, you know, he's not old money, he's new money, and he's buying all the, 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 the newest gadgets and gizmos. Um, he's very loud and um just kinda just kinda throwing his money around in the very like eighties way. 
you know? Uh, yeah. Oh, tell me about Rodney Dangerfield for you in, in this. I mean, he's Rodney Dangerfield. He's he's fantastic. He's exactly who you would want him to be in this. Just that fucking guy on the golf course that, I don't know, I don't play a ton of golf, but I've been around enough of them to know, like, yeah, this dude is a very clear representation of what that's like. Um, you know, some of these guys are like, uh, I don't know. I honestly, this is the one of the few instances of Rodney Dangerfield that I've experienced just because I, I don't watch a ton of his stand up. I think, you know, this is really, I saw this and experienced Rodney Dangerfield at such an early age compared to when I really actually watched any of his stand up or late night appearances since watching this so like this is how i think of him and i just love him so much because of it oh this is fantastic this is tip of the iceberg for dangerfield dangerfield who i consider to be like the my he's my favorite he's my favorite one line comic it's perfect um uh if you if you get the chance he's got tons of videos on youtube check check him out uh like um my psychiatrist told me I was crazy, and I said I wanted a second opinion. He said, okay, you're ugly, too. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a fight the other night, and a hockey game broke out. <laughs> oh. He's so fucking good. He was the best, man. <laughs> when I was born, I was so ugly, the doctor slapped my mother. Oh, great great comedy out of a guy whose who's actual name is, is Jacob Cohen. <laughs> really? Anyway, yeah. No, his real name is not Rodney Dangerfield, man. Um, he is great. He 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 is a guy in film. Any movie he's in, he's this guy, and that has to either work for the movie or not. And luckily, you know, he is in movies that usually work around him. I can think of one example of a movie that he is not built for that he is in. Um, that movie, that, oh, that kid's soccer team. Like girls' soccer team, like like the Bumblebees or some shit like that. Screaming. No, it wasn't that. Um, he's legit like the coach of a girls' soccer team, and I think he gets his son to dress up as a girl to help the girls' soccer team wins, and he tells them that they should be excited because they got the vote. But it's like the 1980s, and women got the right to vote like 60 years beforehand. It's it's not a good movie. I really <laughs> um, need to like look this up. It's not a good movie, <laughs> but like. If you enjoy Rodney Dangerfield, hey, this is a great movie for you. <laughs> like, like this is, and this is the perfect context for him to be in, where the plot is not built around him. Um, he is involved in the plot, but it is not built around him. Uh, so, in such a way, he is there as a as an instigator for sure. But no one's like, oh, it's tough because like the the competition is like you know him and and the judge clashing heads. <laughs> But at the same time, it's not like Rodney Dangerfield needs any depth to do it. It's just him being a dick and some guy being like, hey, don't be such a dick. And Rodney Dangerfield's going, hey, I'm a dick. Um, it's true. It serves him well. Uh, what do you think about Ted Knight in this, the judge? Uh, again, like he, he plays the character well. He's, he's funny and he's just one of those really excellent side show, not sideshow, but, you know, side characters. Um, uh, I think that's the one of the strongest suits is like each one of these 
strongest suits of this movie is each one of these actors plays their side character, if you want to consider them that, so well. Um, and they just fit that mold of what's needed so well. And I mean, Ted, Ted Knight's right there as being that kind of guy. Truly. I mean, yeah, he, he's basically here to be angry. And he does it super well. And that's really all there is to it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like his just his snap reactions, like the the quick to just snap into that anger is just so fucking perfect for well, how it fits into this. We're waiting. We're, we're waiting. Oh uh, yeah, he's great. Um My Bushwood. <laughs> Alright. Um we'll get nothing and like it. Yeah, he, he he does big, big angry really, really well in this. And uh, the last big character, I think, that you get a lot of screen time in this we're talking about, I guess, would be Bill Murray um, as the uh, green groundskeeper, I guess. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about Bill Murray? Really. Yeah, he, he is really just there in, like, his scenes are basically fucking outtakes, you know, like, where you mm-hmm. completely leave the action. You know, like, when you go to see it's Rodney Dangerfield, like, Dangerfield, like Ryan, every time. Yeah, absolutely. Because like when you see Rodney Dangerfield like like making fun of the hats in the store, you know, like that's that's setting the stage for eventually the the golf illegal tournament competition thing. You know, when you cut away to to, to Chevy Chase, it, it's a lot of the same. You know, you see the very small amount of like emotional depth you're going to be getting in this. Same thing with the Danny Noonan cutaways, but the the Bill Murray cutaways are pure nonsense. Um, they have nothing to do with anything. Outside of the eventual ending with, with the explosions from trying to get the gopher. But like that that's it. Like his otherwise Bill Murray, you could literally cut out the Bill Murray parts of this movie. And again, mm-hmm. outside of the end explosions, nothing about this movie would change. Um in terms right. of how the plot is structured, not in terms of how much you would enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of uh our good friend Carl Spackler? I mean, is there any way you could say he's something other than perfect in this? Like he's phenomenal. Um, definitely one of his funnier roles. Definitely one of his. Um, what am I trying to think of? Like, regardless, like he is just so perfectly funny and random and just out there in this. And you know, the fact that everything is improv just adds to that. And you just you can appreciate the I, like he plays a character, but his character is such a character um, that it's just like it takes you out of the movie in the best way possible. I fully agree. Um, I would like to to read something very quickly that I just I just learned. This is apparently that Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, and Rodney Dangerfield were all supposed to be cameo appearances. Um, and then because they did such a, a hell of a job with the improvisational aspects of, of what they ended up doing with their limited, originally limited appearances, they mm-hmm. reworked the entire script to get those three guys more into the film. Which, in Murray's case, I don't have a hard time picturing, but I literally can't picture what this script would have been like without Chevy Chase and Rodney Dangerfield, because they are right. so instrumental to the script. Like, how do you fill in those scenes without those I would guys? assume they just weren't there. I would assume, then, that this mo- this was originally a movie about a kid sucking up to a really annoying judge and more of the shenanigans involving Danny Noonan and that gang, you know, like the, the fellow caddy caddies, um, 
hence Caddyshack, um, instead of being so much about, you know, the eventual um, competition. However, yeah, that would have been a much worse movie. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I don't think I'd be going too far out there and saying that movie would suck. Like no, lot. we just sat here and talked about how how um, Danny Noonan's character is totally fine for what he's asked to do, but the scenes that rely too much on him, on him as compared to the other actors are just no fun. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that for a whole movie. Nope. Wow. Um, so in terms of like the way this movie goes, you, I, you've probably gotten it by this description if you haven't seen it already. This is a very famous movie. Um, you know, Danny Noonan is a hapless kid looking to go to college kind of doesn't want to feels like he should works at a golf course there's a competition between uh an old money and very prim and proper member who is a judge and um rodney dangerfield who is loud and jewish um and then there's hijinks and that's kind of the whole movie <laughs> plus the Correct. golf course blowing up as in a in, during an attempt to get a a a gopher um and that's really it it is it is it is a uh a jokes per minute vehicle um as as i tend to describe certain types of comedies this is all about the next punchline uh more so than anything else which is one of my favorite types of movies um Mm -hmm. that's pretty much all there is to it which is why we didn't spend much time on like character development or editing or cinematography because that should not matter no (laughs) no it doesn't matter at all (laughs) Like it's so, uh, to some extent, like I am almost upset that I picked this movie because as much as I love watching it and would love just chatting about it, like with you, it doesn't really add too much to the conversation of, you know, us talking about movies the way we normally do. It's probably not the best type of film to pick to have a discussion and, you know, it's probably not the best to have for a review podcast because it really is just an enjoyable movie. It doesn't do anything thought provoking. It doesn't do anything technically um, worth discussing. It's just enjoyable and funny. Well, Hey, I mean, we we got like 30, 40 minutes on it. So I say there was plenty to talk about and we did a great job. We're the best. Yeah, we're pretty. All right. Um, all right, I guess that's it. Why don't this was your pick? So why don't you give me your rating and review, and then we'll move on to uh, our next film for the day. Uh, okay, it's a cult classic that is unbelievably funny, endlessly quotable, um, and something is this that a cult is classic. I thought this was a big hit at the time. Okay, well, I feel like forty years later, it's more of a cult classic than it is because. I doubt many people in our demographic or younger or, you know, even multiple years older go out of their way to watch this movie. Like for it's reference, not known a as the- classic is a movie that gains a following after it gets released, after it flopped in theaters. Like, um, like the big Lebowski was a flop when it was released, but got popular afterwards. This was a success when it came out. Is that the sole way of looking at it? Because I feel yes. like this movie has a cult following and is considered oh. by a niche group to be a absolute classic, but is otherwise relatively unknown to the larger population. Yeah, no, this this is it's it's not unknown to the to the larger population. This is a very famous movie that was very successful when it came out. But I feel like if you asked fifty people from our general demographic 
hey, do you know what Caddyshack is? And have you seen Caddyshack? I feel like the majority would say no to one or both of those questions. I mean, yeah, but if you ask most of the people in our in our age demographic if they've ever watched Gone with the Wind, they'll probably say no too, and that's the highest grossing movie of all time, adjusted for inflation. Take your point and walk <laughs> away with your head held high, you fucking asshole. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember where I was going with that, so I'm just going to say this gets a four out of five. Right on. Um, yeah, this is this is a movie. I think like if if you're of our generation and you have seen this, you've probably watched it because one of your like parents or aunts and uncles showed it to you. So you've probably seen this. If you've watched it, it's, you you probably have like a, a childhood memory of it, which makes it a little bit um, always makes a movie a little bit better when you can like look back on it fondly and still enjoy it as you get older. Because if you're a kid watching this, it's a ton of goofy shit that makes this fun. And if you're an adult watching this, same story, man. It's a ton of goofy it shit. Boobs in it, so like 13 year old you is gonna fucking love it. Yeah, seriously. Um, yeah, it it's fun the whole way through. I mean, like like it's nothing crazy in terms of like the plot or like things happening that you didn't expect outside of some jokes. Um, but it's it's a really fun movie. Um, I'll I'll give it. I'm torn between a three and a half and a four. Um. Ah, Dangerfield's in it. I'll give it a four. Nah, I'm going to give it a three and a half. I'm going to be mean. I'm going to give it a three and a half. Uh, I have no good reason for that, um, but that's where we're landing on it. Um, I, I do want to add the way I was introduced to this was my grandmother gave me an animatronic gopher that played the, the theme song and danced around like it does when it's like popping out of the hole at the end. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And then they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, you need to watch this movie to get it. And boy, did I. Whew, what a great movie. Cult classic. Uh, uh, yeah, totally. Uh, all right. That brings us to our next film, 1981's My Dinner with Andre, directed by Louis Mal, written by Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn, starring Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn. Um, this movie had an estimated budget of... I, it's not listed here, but I'm pretty sure it's like a couple hundred thousand bucks. Let me see if I can find it somewhere else. Uh, $475,000. And then according to um, IMDb, it had a cumulative worldwide gross of $5,000. So that is not a success. <laughs> A huge loss. <laughs> um, it it its tagline didn't exist. Did not have one. <laughs> um, wow, this is a quiet movie. It it is about um, two old friends that meet for dinner. One tells anecdotes detailing his experiences. The other notices their differing worldviews. It has no major awards, nominations, nor wins. Um, and that's really all there is to it. Uh, this was my pick, so I'm gonna start. Uh, so this is this is one of my mother's favorite movies, um, which is how I I watched it for the first time, and it is literally. So you know, I watched it with my girlfriend as I watch all of my movies, and she was like, "What's it about?" And I said, "It's about his dinner with Andre," and she said, "I know, but what happens?" And I said, "He has dinner with Andre," and she goes, "I know, but like, what's?" What are the, what's the movie about? And I said, it's about his dinner with Andre. 
Because it is. It, like, that's literally, it, it literally couldn't be more self-explanatory. That is the movie. The entire movie is about Wallace Shawn going to have dinner with his friend Andre. Now, what actually takes place in that movie, in, in the movie, you know, we'll get to a little bit more of, but it ends up being, it, it's, even though it's just a conversation, it is mostly single setting w- within the, the restaurant. The, there's some scenes at the beginning and the end that take place outside of it, but not to any significant degree. Um, the conversation that they have and, and, and the, I guess, framing of it and the way to think about what is happening, um, I think has a lot that can keep you engaged and interested throughout the film, which is one of the things I like about it. Um, but it, it really is very, very simplistic in what it is trying to do in terms of what it is presenting to you in the, uh, on the, on the goddamn screen. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, it's really it, which is why I'm, I'm very interested in how we're going to have this conversation because there is genuinely not too much to say about plot or character development, any of that. It is strictly about these two people catching up after not having seen each other for about five years. Um, I think this is a really, really interesting film and does a lot of... Um, uses its dialogue very effectively. Um, but I wouldn't dying to hear your thoughts, Corwin. Um, before I go into it, I didn't realize that this was written by the two actors that were in this. I thought this was just, you know, two guys playing characters. I didn't realize that they were playing themselves and they wrote this story themselves. I will be um, I will be quick to to say though this is not about them like it's not okay they 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 are playing characters named Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory they are mm-hmm. not these are not their actual life experiences even though like you know Wallace Shawn is an actor in the movie and he's an actor in real life like um I believe I believe Wallace Shawn has said that if they were to make the movie again they would switch parts um like the the things they're saying are all not their life experiences. Okay, because that was my follow up question. Yeah. Um, I will say I had no idea what this movie was going into it, and boy, did I I love what it ended up being, because I I just I've only heard of this movie through an episode of community that was based off of it, which was hilarious. And I just had, I'm, I'm not the biggest Wallace Shawn fan. Um, but I will. Right. That, that's his line. Um, but man, this movie just blew me away with just how fantastic they were able to frame this conversation and how thought-provoking and how well they were able to hold interest, intrigue, and just your attention for what is essentially, you know, a single-shot exposition that's two hours long. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation that they had at its core, what they were discussing, the development of uh wallace's basically 
desire to just get through the evening, get a hot meal, and just, you know, end it as soon as possible so he could go home to basically his envelopment in the conversation, his intrigue, his interest, uh, to the point where they just don't even see that the passage of time is taking place at, you know, the extent that it is, and he is fully engulfed by the conversation. And I was the same way. Um, I love it. Yeah, um, it is. It is such an interesting little journey. Um, if so, if you haven't watched it coming into the podcast, what it is is Wallace Shawn. Um, he is a playwright, but he hasn't been able to get a lot of his plays made. So now he's like acting in plays or whatever uh, to make ends meet or some shit like that. That's kind of the little intro you get. Not that it matters. Ultimately, he um, he ends up getting an opportunity to reconnect that he's not even truly looking forward to at the outset um, with a guy that he spent a lot of time with and knew well, uh, Andre Gregory. And then he goes to dinner and Andre talks about how he had left the theater world for a while. He was a director and he had left over the last five years that they haven't seen each other to go kind of live life and talks about the journey that he went through in that respect. And so throughout the film, Andre Gregory is telling wild stories um, that have some philosophical root to them or, you know, social aspect to them. And Wallace Shawn really plays the audience character for a lot of it, just kind of listening and being like, well, then what happened? You know, like for the first, I think, hour, because I was keeping track of the time, um, Wallace Shawn really doesn't contribute in any way that literally any of us wouldn't have. You know, may, for the first hour of this film, in, in the conversation, while Sean is really just nodding, eating, making, like, glib comments about his food, like, oh, I thought the, the birds would be bigger. Um, and just being like, so what happened next? Which are all things that we, we would have done in the same context if you had listened to what Andre Gregory was talking about. Um and Andre Gregory is delivering one of the greatest monologues ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God, he's so good. He makes these stories so compelling by just kind of being him. Because you want to know the wildest part about Andre Gregory? Sure. This is his first movie. I believe it. This is his first acting. What this is his first acting credit. Um, I don't even. No. Uh, uh, apparently, he has also been in Demolition Man. That's hilarious. Um, the last, last Temptation of Christ. Um, Mosquito Coast? I don't even know what the fuck that is. Um, and a few other like minor things. Yeah, he's, um, he's not much of an actor. And I don't even mean that in, in, in a mean way. He's not, he's not an actor. Um, but by being who he is, they're pretty sure he, you know they talk about him being a uh, a play director, and I, I think in real life he is actually or was is he dead? No, he's not dead. I think he was actually just a you know not just but was actually a a, a play director. Um, he he just has a way of speaking that is very captivating. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, he he really keeps you 
keeps you locked in the whole time. Um, so I guess uh, now that we've got, kind of gone through the overview and, and, and the prelude, do you want to talk about some of their actual conversations? Sure. So is there any any particular one of the segments that stuck out to you uh, expressively? Yes. Um, when they were discussing the value that others associate with your worth and your position, you know, they don't view you as being equal if you do not have the money or prestige that's, you know, equal to their own. Um, that was the one that kind of connected with me the most because it's something that you do notice in everyday life. Whereas, you know, some of the others were more high, not necessarily high level, but more philosophical in nature. This one was very in the dirt, something that anyone in any day of their normal life would be able to experience. Um, especially living in a place like New York city where, you know, you walk into a building you live in and you, you know, pay a, a pretty penny to have the privilege to live there. And this man working the door that has possibly no intellectual or moral differences from your own calls you Mr. Tracy and you call him Jimmy right back. And there is that innate difference in respect that is provided because of the position he carries uh, compared to your own and just the way that people view people differently based off of nothing else other than the money they earn and the title that they carry. I I think one of the, the things that the film does super well is that it frames all of the conversations around real world concepts. It's like it's like Andre had lived his entire life in something of a bubble, which all of us do to some extent. It's it's just depending on what your bubble is surrounding. Um, and it was the same bubble that Wall Sean had lived in, you know. So so, which explains a lot of like why Wall Sean is so intrigued in hearing what's happening and. It has doesn't have too too much to say because it's also outside of his frame of reference, and they managed to to loop a lot of the experiences and the takeaways from them to the everyday. And I think the one that you mentioned is a really great example of it. I think another one that really fits along in there is like the electric blanket conversation. Um, but it's really interesting listening to Andre Gregory talk about a lot of those like. Especially like capitalistic and 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 like money based conversations or or um you know wealth or status based ones specifically the one you're you're talking about because it it really must have been kind of I don't know how wild it would have been in 1980 but it must have been something in, in 1981 whereas today it's like oh absolutely like you know this is I we are the audience for that part of that conversation you know but like that was a real that must have been a pretty wild idea in 81. You know, at, at like the peak of like rose colored glasses capitalism, especially in New York City, you know, right. like, you know, this is just a few years before the movie Wall Street came out, like mm -hmm. um, and and hearing that level of introspection um, based on what is also a very common practice in, in New York, which is having a doorman. Um, it, it's definitely like targeting a very specific audience with it. 
but while also being a pretty relatable experience of just having any, like, you know, anyone you've ever, if you've ever walked into any institution that has like a greeter of some kind, um, whether they know your name or not, you know, calling you sir or ma'am or whatever. And, and, you know, you, you might not give them that same level of title. Uh, and that's kind of just baked into, to the system. You know, it's, it, it's something we, we've all definitely seen in some way. Yeah, that definitely stood out because it seemed to be such a, uh, uh, what's the term I'm looking for, such a hot topic in today's culture where we've seen the negative effects and consequences of capitalism come to fruition a lot clearer um, because it's been another, again, 40 years of neglect on the, the parts of society that it, it, it hurts the most. And we're seeing all that come together now. And it, it's first starting to, this is the first time it's starting to come to the forefront of discussion about how, hey, maybe this this economic and social system is extremely detrimental to the well-being of the greater population. Um, seeing something like that pop out in 1981 uh, just seems very much out of place. Um 80, was Reagan elected in 81? Did he get elected in 80? Uh, Reagan was elected in 80, sworn in in 81. Okay, so technically Reagan wasn't president yet, but at the same time, this was Reaganomics, um, you know, on the leading edge of that heyday, that peak of Reaganomics and, and that mindset. And... Man, I, I could see why this wasn't necessarily the most appreciated film and the most viewed film at its release. You know, I guess you could consider consider this, you know, a bit of a cult classic. Uh, now that I know what that means. Um, this is definitely a cult classic. <laughs> <laughs> it made $5,000. Yeah, which is... I don't even know how that could even happen. Um, I know. But that being said, still, that's... That's pretty. This hits hits home so much harder in today's world in today's society than I'm sure it did in 1981. And I'm glad that this is a period in my life where I am watching it, uh, and not anything anytime earlier because I'm sure I would not have come anywhere close to appreciating it to the same extent, and it would have you know affected my opinion of it later on. Uh, watching it again so what a film you know i just i really appreciate everything it did and the way yeah, it mean, did it so this is this is only my second time watching it um uh, and the first time i watched it like i i i'll put it this way i don't remember a single conversation the, the only other time i watched this my my mother had her had it on because she loves this movie um but it's, it's it's a hard one to find you know it's not it's not a big blockbuster so it's not available everywhere luckily um it's on HBO Max now. Mm -hmm. um, Even searching for it on HBO it. was fucking... It took a minute. <laughs> it, HBO was like, are you sure? Yeah, for real. <laughs> um, but, like, I, know, I probably... So I probably watched it. And, I, again, I'm going to use watch as a very liberal uh, term here. Um, I don't know, 13? I, you're not ready for this movie when you're 13. I don't remember yeah. any of these fucking... I remember being bored out of my goddamn mind. Um, you haven't been fucked by the world yet, you know? But like truly, and I think I think you know you you raise another good point about like this movie now. Versus
versus this movie in 1980. Um, because I think there's also a greater emphasis around introspection and how you operate as an individual today than there was in 1980. Because the idea of Reaganomics and like, you know, what ended up happening throughout the 80s was very self-centric. Um, you know, Reagan didn't invent that. It was in it was in the oeuvre at the time already. Um, so to have this movie be like, you know, wondering how I interact with the world, how I interact with myself, how I how I perceive, you know, life and death in in a, in a very real way. You know, the part of this movie that the or the one story that I was really sucked into was when he was um I, I, I was I forget which nation he was in. I think it was I think it was Poland when he like basically yes. had to mimic his own death and he had to like you know get ran to naked to to one camp. Oh, and, that and was then, like, that was the Hamptons. Oh, that was the Hamptons. Jeez, I thought that was Poland. No, wow. Poland was the the forest village people. Oh, right, right, right. With all the dancing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, and then he had like we went in this room with the blinding white light, and then had to get run back to to a different place, and they had they had to get into a, a, a eight foot grave and get buried, so we could get the feeling of being buried, and that was him going through the stages of death, you know, and. The idea of it being presented in a very real way. Like, I was sitting there during that conversation thinking to myself, I could not handle that. Not, not an, I wouldn't find it meaningful, because I'm sure I'd find it meaningful, you know? And not that I don't understand it, because I, I, I can definitely wrap my mind loosely around what is happening in that description. But I couldn't emotionally handle that, I don't think. And that's what made that such a captivating listen. To have to be like, Really ask yourself if you can take that experience. And, like, if the answer is no, why? If the answer is yes, why? You know, like, like, because that is you interacting with death in a, in seemingly one of the realest ways you possibly could without actually dying. Mm-hmm. I mean, that. It's, oh, it almost makes you jealous of being able to experience that kind of raw emotion and be that connected to those feelings, like being able to experience what it is like to feel alive and to experience death in a way that no one else would be able to experience and have it be able to affect your future thoughts to the point where you appreciate life more. Um, it's you know that's what makes this movie so great is it invokes those thoughts and feelings in a way that you know i've never thought about what it would must be like to experience death and being buried alive to that extent especially when you know they basically push you through this this ringer this experience that breaks down all of your emotional barriers and just leaves you in this raw emotional state before putting you in that kind of experience of, you know, being buried alive. Like the, the way you come out of that must be, you know, you must become a new person because of this. I just, I love the, the way they have these kind of conversations and, you know, the way they are both a part of it and, you know, 
clearly at a point of introspection where they could have this conversation and this back and forth and and just have it at such a high level. Yeah, and then and then to to talk about um Andre's performance, uh Andre Gregory's performance a little bit in here too. Like the 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 way that he talks about these really intense sounding experiences and he says them just very very matter of factly, you know? Like it's not he's not breaking down crying. You can tell like like there's a very, there's a lot of sincerity there. You know, he's he's speaking very sincerely. Um but he he's he sounds just so he he delivers it so calmly and just so like like again just just matter of like yes this happened and even the same way talking about like like you know how he would like when he whenever he would mention that he would that he would that he would cry from one of his experiences mm-hmm. it was also just said very much so like I you know I was just so emotional I just ended up crying and like even the idea of at that time again the eighties masculinity in the eighties. That he can just very much so be like, yeah, like this was a really powerful emotional experience and it brought me to tears. And it could just be that open in general, let alone with someone that he is certainly friends with but has not seen in five years. Like mm-hmm. it shows just in that delivery, it shows the emotional maturity that clearly these experiences have helped um, inform. And it's that amazing. is just an amazing thing to witness. Right. It's just amazing how far ahead of its time this movie is. Yeah, I and mm. like decades ahead of its time. Truly, man, truly. Um. Oh God, they, they so they 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 bring up a lot of different little talking points that that they that they survey around. But I'm not sure it, it's worth getting into to all of them individually. You know, they talk about um, the Stanislavski method with with the acting. They talk about a book, The Little Prince. I think we all read when we were kids. So. Talk about electric blankets. Um, at, oh well, it's a you know it's it's a it's a book. You can you can read it pretty quickly. Um, I won't. I don't. They, had, they called it's, out Autumn Sonata, which I appreciated. Yeah, I I, I, I nudged Cal. I was like, hey, hey, we know that one now. She was like, yeah, and so yeah, now you get it. I felt, I felt so cultured, right? Yeah. <laughs> like ah, oh, yes, yeah, they're talking about the Swedish film that I've seen and can appreciate in such a way that oh i get their reference and you know that was a very that was a very uh um hot topic at the time because autumn sonata i think came out in like 1980 or 1979 and this film came out like right afterwards so that was a very like it was a very new reference <laughs> at the time mm-hmm. um this I, movie I, just I, makes you feel uh, a very different sense of uh of satisfaction from <laughs> fucking caddyshack <laughs> These are two wildly different movies. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I do. I do have one line written down. Uh, one quote from Wallace Shawn that I just thought was fucking hilarious. Um. So in in, in the last thirty minutes, Wallace Shawn does start to, I guess, talk a little bit more as he tries to relate his life experiences and his worldview a little bit more to to things that that Andre Gregory is saying, and they're having one conversation about. Um, I forget what what started this particular one, but while Sean was talking about fortune cookies, you know, and he was talking about how there are th- the, the the predetermined outcomes of life, you know, and about mm-hmm. how if he was about to get on an airplane and 
a, he opened a fortune cookie that said the um you know plane's going to crash or some shit like that that he would still get on the plane like that that wouldn't sway his decision making at all because um you know if the plane's going to crash it's going to crash because of some pre-existing reason it's going to crash because of the state of the engine or the state of the pilot or some shit like that and his line was and the cookie is in no position to know that <laughs> which first of all is a great line right um but it's also interesting because we spend this whole this whole film looking for meaning in certain activities or certain experiences and Wallace Shawn is coming out here and saying that you know yes but we shouldn't take meaning from everything you know he's not going to ascribe meaning to something that is exists in such a vacuum like a fortune cookie that meaning is going to come from real things not these other i guess like not real uh like that something that's not based in reality you know mm-hmm. just cuz you find a a fortune cookie that has a note in it that says you know like doom ahead a lot of us in general, I think we'll look at that and go, oh, shit, there might be doom ahead. Keep an eye out for doom. Um, and that's normal. You know, like, like that, that's perfectly allowed. But it's the idea that we're not going to fully give into that notion while also trying to find true meaning in other more based activities and experiences that can further inform your judgments or your fears or whatever. And I thought that was a really interesting and very funny counterpoint um, or further elaboration of of what had been discussed the previous like hour. I love this movie, man. This is fantastic. This isn't going to be one that I watch often because it is, you know, the the way it's set, the way it's you know the the discussions are based. You know, obviously it's it's all about the perspective and introspection and. It's not a, a highly rewatchable movie the way like a Caddyshack is. But I feel like this is going to be a movie that I, I scroll through a streaming site every couple of years and see it. And it's like, ah, uh, I'm ready to to rethink on these topics and see if my opinion has changed kind of deal. I love how hilarious that point is. And I do not disagree with it at all. That while this movie is better than Caddyshack, it is not more rewatchable than Caddyshack. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't imagine watching this movie more than like once every like three or four years. Whereas like I watch Caddyshack at least once a year. At least. Oh no, I'm not, I'm the same. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. It's just like... And and you're right. Like that's another good point. Like like chances are if you rewatch this in three years, maybe based on your life experiences up to that point, you might take a conversation to have a certain different meaning or extract something else out of it. But if you were to rewatch this every like six months, I mean like change is only so gradual you know like you're not mm-hmm. going to get everything out of it if you watch this every six months um anyway uh that's all i had written down is there anything else um you wanted to say before we wrapped up the conversation on my dinner with andre uh i prefer the cute community ad- adaptation <laughs> my dinner with abed my dinner with andre dinner with abed fair very fair um, all right, well, let's do I, I watched that episode immediately after watching this because I wanted to see if, uh, you know, there was 
if I got more out of it now seeing this film. And my favorite part of the episode was they like sit down, they go to order food, and you know, Abed's reading off stuff on this French menu, and they order whatever. And he's like, he makes his order and just leans over because they don't have quail. And it's like, I that's such a throwaway line if you haven't seen the movie that means literally nothing. And of course, watching it and having seen it, it's like that's actually like a really nice reference because of course it is. Yeah, for real. No, like, oh, I I had only a very loose recollection of the movie when I had seen that episode of Community, and it's all I I should rewatch it now too. But it was it's it's already fun because it's already a deep cut, um, right. and all the little details just make it better. Anyway, um, I honestly thought about like picking that episode of Community like this week just to be able to have that discussion, and it's like, well. Let's not start with that. Let's not start picking TV episodes because I don't want to watch a full movie. Yeah, no, that's far too specific. Um, all right, so this is my pick. So then I guess I'll start. Um, this, it really feels like I had, it's like I came into this movie having seen it once before, but not remembering any of it. So I, I knew the tone of it, which gave it some sense of familiarity, but I did not re- re- recollect the content of it which made it feel really new. Um, so I, I really feel like I, I came to it with, 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 with fresh eyes. And I think I came away with a lot on this. I really found a lot of good depth and meaning to the conversations that I certainly wouldn't have when I first saw this. And I was like 13 or some shit like that. Um, <laughs> based on the fact that I don't even literally don't even fucking remember it. Um, sure. I think Andre Gregory is phenomenal in this. I think Wallace Shawn, you have an idea of as being usually like kind of a goofier or a sad sackish kind of guy. And it, it's not really, this is a very quiet role for him that I think serves him well is it's not, mm-hmm. like, he's got a very specific voice. He's got a very specific way of speaking. And I think it serves fine in this because he's asked to do very little in this. And that is good. Not necessarily because I don't like Wallace Shawn, but just because then it doesn't detract from the content of the film, especially um, Andre Gregory's delivery. And um, it is by far one of the most enwrapped conversations I can think of myself being, uh, I guess, enwrapped in uh, as, a, as a viewer, especially considering the fact that it lasts the entire movie. Um, it really is so well laid out. It's so well done. And it has so much thought per minute um, in terms of what you can really spend your day thinking about with their with the different avenues their conversations go down. Um, Absolutely. I'm going to give this a five. Um, this is an indie film. So it, 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 it's got that little scope to it. And it's not a very big movie in terms of what it does. It is just conversation based. And I, I like to think in part about my ratings about, you know, what more could this movie do? And given what it's trying to do, I don't think this movie could really do anything more. I really think that they are getting everything out of this film idea that they could. And it's so well done for, for its genre and what it's, what it's getting at. And I'm going to give this the full bore. I'm, I'm going five out of five. I, I completely understand. I'm going to give it a four and a half. Just because, you know, I, we talk about it often when we're splitting hairs between four and a half and a five. I love this film. 
I have no complaints about this film. I think this is tremendous. And again, there's nothing really that I would change about it. It's just that same X factor that puts something over the top to give it a five that I just don't know if I'd give it. I don't know if I would say it has that X factor that puts it over the top. Um, I It's really hard to to look at this and, and nitpick what you would change and like what, what you didn't like about it. Oh, God, it's so hard because it's such a tremendous movie. And you know, I, I have to give it a five, you know, like I, I am arguing that it doesn't have that X factor, but at the same time, the thought provoking nature of it, the way it moves you, the way it makes you think to an extent while doing so much with so little, a movie that's pure exposition and discussion and just essentially a single shot, the way it is so effective in doing it with such little to work with, such little to you know change it up and hold the attention of its viewer, but its ability to do so regardless, that's, that should be that X factor enough. So I'll, I will stand by with, with you and give it that five. Thanks, buddy. Um, I did it for you. I will also shout out, because um, I think we, we should nod at the director here, that the director, uh, Louis Mal, is a three-time Oscar nominee. He was nominated for uh, in 73, 82, and 88. He was nominated for um, Best Writing in 73 for Le Souffle à Court. No idea what that is. Nominated for Best Director in 82 for Atlantic City. And nominated in 88 for Au Revoir, Les Enfants for Best Writing. Um, so there's definitely, you can definitely get that. There's a, there is a lot of gravitas in this film. Um, that I think having that Oscar winning or Oscar nominated person really definitely brings to the table. But anyway. Um, all right. Then shall we make our picks for next week? Sure. Um, what do you got? So. I kind of feel like this needs to be a, an open discussion just because I want to pick the right film to honor Sean Connery. Um, and I am really torn at what to pick. Um, I'm kind of in between three right now. I'm leaning towards one, but I want to hear your thoughts before we decide. Did you have any intention of picking a Sean Connery movie for this week? I did not, only because I know you did. Right. Okay. So I'm really torn between The Last Crusade, A Bridge Too Far, and The Man Who Would Be King. And I don't know which one I think would be the best topic of discussion and the best representation. I'm leaning towards The Last Crusade because that shows Connery in a very different role than what we're used to. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you would prefer. Not even prefer, but what you would think would be the best discussion about him and his legacy. You know, I haven't seen any of those films in such a long time. I had it like locked in my head that you were going to pick The Untouchables. Um, really? The fil- oh, that's the film he won the Oscar for, and it's such a great movie. Um, I don't really care for that film. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Like I, I, I just didn't enjoy it all that much. Interesting. All right. Well, in that case, then I'm surprised you're not going with uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. 
Um, I really wanted to. No, I. But it's just like I don't want to watch that movie again. Just like and have it be, watch it and you know see it with a clear set of eyes from a different perspective after doing this podcast for so long and fucking hating it, and then having to talk about his legacy. Yeah, it's definitely not the movie you should go with. <laughs> it's it sucks though because I love that movie. It's so enjoyable. Of just like I an easy to watch action flick that again has so much potential. I don't know. I it would be fun to talk about, uh, but I don't want it to be. I have not seen it since I was a kid. Have not seen it since I was a child. Do not wish to rewatch it because I know it will not be good. It's one of my dad's favorite movies to like watch when it's on TV, and I just love watching it with him. Fair, fair enough, man. Um, I I don't know what what. Tell me what's your torn between again. Uh, the Last Crusade, which is what I'm kind of leaning towards. Um, a bridge too far, and the man who would be king. So no love for Hunt for Red October either. I guess it, I would go it's, for it's the probably man my favorite Connery movie, but I've seen it so recently I didn't want to uh watch it again. I got you. I think I would go with the man who would be king. Mm. Mm. But, but I also am not telling you to pick anything. This is your pick. You may do with it as you please. I'll be honest. The the man who would be king was definitely a, a clear number three on that list. So you did not help me decide, especially without a, a strong argument for. So I'm just going to go with my gut. Go with the it's last. It's John crusade. Houston. What's up? It's John Houston. That's enough right there. I don't care. John Houston. All right, um, so what'd you pick? Uh, I'm going to go with The Last Crusade. I haven't seen an Indiana Jones in like a decade, so. All right. <laughs> Plus, a bridge too far is like four hours long, and I don't want to watch yeah, that. Yeah, it is three. just one bridge too far. Yeah. All right, so I am torn between two movies. Pick a bridge too far. I'm not picking a bridge too far. I am so torn because there was there's a movie we talked about the other week that I really want you to see. So I kind of want to pick it. But it's also old and not in English and I I don't want you to hate me again. But it's also a really good movie so I think you'd like it. But I also kind of want to pick another Sydney Lumet movie. Damn. Pick a Sydney Lumet movie with Sean Connery in it. There's so many. There are does not exist. Um, damn it. I will pick. Fuck. God damn. All right. All right. All right. Pick a number. One or two. Two. All right. Dog Day Afternoon. Ooh. Okay. Dog Day Afternoon. Also, real quick, I was combing through movies. Have you ever seen 2001 A Space Odyssey? Nope. I was going to say, I remember you saying you hadn't seen it. Or maybe I'll make that one of my... It's, it's one of the picks. ones where I am definitely the most ashamed to say that I haven't watched it. Because it's been on like the top of my watch list for so unbelievably long. And just never have done anything with it. Alright, well I'm going to keep that in the back burner for, for another time as well then. Also, did um, you say, like there's a ton of Sydney Lamette movies with Sean Connery in it. What? What? Yeah, what Sydney Lumet movies is he in? 
uh the anderson tapes um let's see what else anderson is there tapes? yeah what else do we got uh da, 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 da. i know there's like at least three i should just google it instead of trying to dig through his um imdb page The Hill, The Offense. Hello? So it's the Anderson tapes, The Hill, and what? Uh, The Offense. Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, I forgot to Family that business. Wow, yeah. I, wow, there are a bunch. Holy shit, Corwin yeah. knows more about fucking Sidney Lamette than Joshua Tracy, just fucking putting him up and just laying the hammer down. Bitches. Yeah, I've never I've never even heard of the Anderson tapes. Jesus. Huh. Oh well. Yeah, totally forgot about those other ones though. Damn. Oh well. Anyway, dog day afternoon it is. Ah, uh, John Cazal. And also that Al Pacino guy. Yep, so we got uh we got nineteen seventy oh shit, what year is that? Dog what year is dog day? Seventy five? No, I think it's like seventy nine maybe. I wanna say I think it's later. No, John it's seventy five. John Cazell died in like nineteen seventy six. Um, no, because Godfather came out in seventy seven. Godfather came out in seventy two. What the fuck what came out in seventy seven other than Star Wars? What uh what Coppola movie was that? <laughs> um, Apocalypse Now? Holy shit. Oh my god. Alright. 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 I need to go. I need to go. Alright. Alright. Right. <laughs> so we got 19... No, Apocalypse Now is 79. Okay. Thank Christ. I didn't fuck that one up. 1975's Dog Day Afternoon. Corwin is picking... What year did, um... Did uh, Last Crusade come out? 80 something? No. 80, 87? Bitch, what do I look like? An encyclopedia? Yeah. The Last Crusade came out in 89. 89. So 1989's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. 1975's Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, those are the picks. Them's the breaks. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pot. Nope. At you can. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing. Uh, nope. God damn it. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. Son of a bitch. Um, and if you want to write to us on, uh, you want to email us, you can do so at uh, Juicing the Big Screen at gmail.com. If you want to hear us talk about sports, you can check out the Twitter at Juicing Pod. And email us at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. That's what I keep tongue-twisting around up in my, my, my head of space. And uh, until next Tuesday, y'all have a good one. Bye.